Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club, the place investors go to gain actionable advice, learn about current market trends, and hear war stories from other professional investors out there in the field today. Before we get started, I have two quick housekeeping items to cover. First, if you like the episode, we would very much appreciate a like, subscribe, and share. It is the best way to support the show and keep it running. Second, if you are a new investor looking to get started in real estate or an experienced investor looking to take your investing to the next level, we created an ebook for you that will cover how to find deals that are actually deals, how to finance those deals with little to no money down, and how to exit those deals for maximum value. On top of that, I throw in an insane amount of free bonuses that you'll have access to once you buy the ebook. All we charge is our admin cost to keep the show running. So, if you're serious about real estate investing and want to create both active and passive income as an investor, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com and click on the button that says get the ebook to grab yourself a copy today. So with that said, let's dive right in. Today we have a very special guest with us ready to drop some investor knowledge on you. So buckle up, grab your pen and paper and enjoy the ride. We are live with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today we have with us Noel Christopher. Noel is actually our first repeat guest. So I am super excited to have him on. He is the Senior Vice President, Portfolio Services at Renters Warehouse. Um, The one thing that I loved about his original episode was he is one of the few uh, investors that has come on who only invests in single family housing. And that is super exciting. Um, If you want to check out his original podcast, it was I think it was released way back in June of uh, 2020. So check that out. Other than that, you can listen to him in the f- live in the flesh right now. Noel, thank you for hopping on the show today. Hey, thank you for having me. It's exciting. There's a lot has, has changed since June, actually. So we have some interesting stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Um, so before we, you know, a lot of people haven't listened to your first episode, I'm sure. So why don't you uh, go into a little bit about, you know, how you got started in real estate and what you've been doing since then? Yeah, so you know, I've been I've been in real estate probably since uh, I used to do be a sales trainer for Tom Hopkins, and we train a lot of uh, real estate investors and, and actually real estate agents in the real estate world. But I got involved in commercial real estate back in two thousand. Um, since about two thousand and ten, I've been involved in more of the small investing and fund investing as far around single family rentals and small investment properties where you look at single family rentals, there's about 17 million, 90% are owned by those that own less than 10 homes. So if you're a small investor, you're actually in the majority right now. A lot of people think that the big funds own everything, but they don't. Uh, so, so 90%, sorry, that, that's a really cool statistic. So 90% of single, you know, single family units out there that are being rented are owned by basically you know, Joe, the dentist, yep. or that is crazy. I, mean, I did not know that. Yeah. So about 70% are owned by people in one or two homes. So wow. some quick numbers I can throw out about single family rentals. A lot of people don't really get this. Um, there's about 17 million single family rentals. That makes up about 66% of the all of the rental stock in the United States, wow. of the rental housing stock. Um it's about four trillion is the asset value of single family rentals compared to multifamily, which is three point seven trillion. Um, there is approximately when you count one to four units, which we like to include in single family because a four unit really isn't a multifamily. It's more in that single family range. There's about twenty three million units. Wow. Um, 
five million of them are in uh, uh, rural areas, uh, and non-rural is uh, about fifty percent. So it's some weird numbers in there, but uh, so you know, and it and the, actually the number is eighty-eight percent of all the single-family rentals are people who own ten or less homes, and uh, only about one percent of the entire 17 million rental stock is um, institutional investors. Yeah. No, so, and that, that is why, uh, you know, I'm excited to talk to you again, because you are, whenever, especially when you're talking with, you know, really big time investors, they're always talking multifamily, they're talking commercial. Um, and you just get this idea that single family is not a good, it's not like a viable investment strategy for people out there. If you really want to see cash flow, if you really, really want to see success, but um, I mean, the numbers that you just put out shows 66% of all rental stock is single family. That blows my mind. Um, it shows yeah, there's plenty of opportunity out there. Oh, the plenty. And it's interesting because people, you know, I have this debate uh, a lot. The reason people have an issue sometimes with single family rentals is it's too hard to manage. Mm. So they look at it and they go, well, you have one house, one asset, and that tenant doesn't pay. You lose that that tenant or you lose that income. Well, yes, of course. Just like if you have one apartment unit and that one apartment tenant doesn't pay, you lose that tenant. Um, it's since about 2012, that single family rental is becoming more institutionalized and it's even exploding more now. Uh, the, the service level and the service that you can get from property management companies, from lenders, um, construction, everything you think of has become a lot tighter you're operationally the expense load and your expense to operate, your overhead to operate a single family rental has gone down and you can actually diversify. So think about if you want to diversify in apartments. So you own one apartment building and you want to diversify your portfolio, you need to buy multiple apartment buildings in different types of submarkets. So you have a really diversified portfolio if it's just in apartments, for example. Well, in single family rentals, the barrier is much lower. So if you're a small investor, you can own one single family home for let's say it's 120 to to $200,000 that you have a great tenant that you're going to get a six to 7% uh, uh, yield on cost, meaning just your cash on cash. If you pay cash, you're not taking into account appreciation, rent increases, inflation, all these different things, but you can diversify a portfolio of 13 homes and you can literally own 13 homes in 13 different markets. And now not just with our company, with other companies have the same property manager in the same point of contact. So talk about diversifying your portfolio on a very small scale. Um, then if you have one tenant that doesn't pay, okay, yeah, that house isn't performing, but your other houses are performing. So a lot of times people look at that single family and they go, well, that's one house. What do I do? Well, you own more than one. You want to diversify. Maybe you want to own a couple apartment buildings. You want to own single family rentals, but you know, especially these days, where you know, I'm hearing a lot about the apartments, and you probably know about this in multifamily. That it's doing well um, if you're in the the class B and, and higher apartments. If you're in the lower end rents, whether it's a single family home or apartment, it, it's a little tough because you've got the eviction moratoriums, things like that. I mean, we own a or we don't own. I'm sorry, we manage a portfolio of about twenty thousand single family rentals, and we're only down about a percent on oh. our collections. We're still at 98%. We're still at 98% occupancy, which single family rentals always trend higher than apartments typically. Mm -hmm. 
you know, apartments are sometimes in that between 88 and 95% occupancy. Single family rentals are. When you're in an apartment, you get to this neighbor, you know, on the other side of the wall who loves a uh, heavy rock. And, uh, but if you're in a, a single family, you don't have that. You have your own unit. Um, there are fewer things that'll piss you off. Don't make you want to leave. Uh, so it makes For sense sure. that there are fewer vacancies in the single family. Realm. Yeah. And, and think about this, think about what's happening with migration patterns. It's funny. And I'm going to pull up a slide in a second on migration patterns. So people are talking about everybody f- fleeing to the suburbs. Well, that is happening. The cities aren't going anywhere. They're reinventing themselves in a way. What's happening is that you have a, a couple of things happening. COVID is one. The second thing is you have the largest cohort of millennials of a generation ever that is delayed home ownership, delayed getting married, delayed having a family that is all hitting right now. And those people are not going to typically raise their family in in an apartment or even in a condo in the city. Just like all of the generations before, when they hit that age, they typically move to more of a suburban area, typically. Um, I, I was a prime example of that with my wife. I waited a lot longer to get married. Um, I'm not a millennial, but I waited a lot longer to get married. And as soon as we had kids, we moved out of the city. And now you can move. You don't just have to move to the suburb of your city. You can move to a completely different city and still live the lifestyle you want. And, and, um, work remotely if that's what you can do. I mean, they did a survey of uh, people living in cities that had jobs in major metropolitan areas. Uh, Realtor.com did this. And it was something like 85% said they would move if they could. Oh, wow. So giving that mobility. And so people are moving to cities and I'll, I'll pull this uh, slide up. You might have to enable host sharing real quick, but uh, um so you're getting people moving to these suburban areas are called hipsterbia. And I think I talked about this last time and they want to live in, in homes. Yep. And it used to be that you had to buy a home, but now you don't have to buy a home if you don't want to. And you want to stay more mobile. I was just on a, with an economic uh, development manager in a suburb of Chicago that had had rental restrictions for the last 10 years. And if you pulled up on Zillow, I'm not going to name the city right now. But if you pull up on Zillow and pulled up homes for rent it was all around was homes for rent. And then in this spot, there were no homes for rent. And guess what? There weren't that many homes for to buy either because developers weren't going there be, to, to sell homes because the same person that's a first time home buyer is the same person that's renting that same home. So if you go into development and somebody who wants to buy a $150,000 to $250,000 home, the renters that come in there, they have the same profile as a home buyer. Um, so a lot of people are, instead of buying that first home, they're renting that home and maybe saving some money and then keeping more mobile. So we have never seen the demand that we've seen now for rentals, for, for tenants and for investors to buy. And we're in a, in a very low inventory. Um, there's impact fees, there's lumber, there's labor issues. All of these things are causing prices to stay high and, but homes are still affordable and we're still a huge affordability gap in the positive, meaning that uh, the affordability has stayed very strong because of, uh, because of the cost of capital. So all kinds of crazy stuff going on, but, uh, yeah, yeah. that makes, uh, uh, that makes complete sense. And I mean, you're never going to find a, uh, a hundred unit multifamily out in, uh, out in, you know, the sticks out in the outskirts of the city. Um, so it makes sense that that is where 
you're actually going to be finding, or you're going to have a lot of success with single family. Uh, yeah. Single so, family so absolutely. Through, what, are you, what are you showing us on the screen? So what I'm showing you on the screen for those of you that aren't here that, that, that aren't watching as well as just listening, this is just the migration patterns. Um, and this was migration patterns from 2012 to 2017. It's going to be really interesting to see what the migration patterns are now, but they're going to be very similar. So you've got the dark blue is migration out. The bright green is migration in. You see people moving a lot from the more. Just to describe this real quick, he's got sure. a, a map of the United States on the screen, um, and then there are different bubbles around uh, around the United States. Blue indicates that there's a negative net migration. Green indicates that there is a positive net migration, and it looks like uh, New York and California and Chicago are are super blue there. They are people are flocking away from that. I can tell you what's changed with this. Take a look at Seattle. People are moving out. Oh, yeah. Wait, affordability. Out. Sure. They're moving uh, in, correct? Right. Right now they're moving in. Uh, the Bay Area, people are moving out and they're moving to Boise, Idaho. They're moving to Utah because of affordability. You have people and there I just there was something on just recently, John Burns uh, real estate consulting. They put out some great data. Look up John Burns on LinkedIn and he puts out great information. Uh, they're tie they do it by U-Haul, what the cost is to oh. return a U-Haul and all that kind of stuff. And so People are selling their $800,000 home in California and moving to Arizona and Utah and Colorado and buying a $350,000 or $400,000 home. It's not, people just assume because you have this expensive home, like if you can get the same house in a great market for less, you're going to do it. And with that mobility that's happening, and then um, the same thing is happening with people who rent. People are moving to these markets and saying, now what's happening is people are moving to more expensive markets and going like where I live um, in, in Colorado in Seamount Springs and saying, I can't buy a house right now, but I can rent a house and I can pay $4,000 a month for rent. And that's expensive, right? But not for these people that are coming from a million dollar mortgage in the Bay Area. So um, it's really interesting. The next slide I'm going to pull up real quick. Um, and this is talking about house values. People talk about house values uh, that they're overvalued. Um, this is a chart where the dark blue is the house buying power. The green is median um, sell price since 2000. And if you look at this trend line, if you drew a straight line, this median price would be a very ca very moderate uptake, right? So you've seen homes go up, go down, seasonality. And if you look at the 50-year trend line, it's about 3.52% of home price appreciation over the last 50 years. So for, for those listening, what uh, what's on the screen right now is a uh, is a line graph um, on the, uh, the y-axis is the median sale price and the x-axis is the, is the time. And it goes back all the way to January of 2000. Um, and it looks like the median sale price of a house is uh, is probably positive, but not super positive. Um, while the house buying power is a uh, the incline is very steep on there. So um, it sounds like the the message from this is that the house buying power, the ability to buy a house, is outstripping the the the, the sale price of the house um, going back all the way twenty years. Yep, exactly. And so uh, you, you look back many years ago, I mean, it wasn't uncommon for uh, for interest rates to be above 6%, close to 10%, and even higher at times, where now if it gets if it gets to 6%, people are, are losing their mind. 
they're like, oh my God, the <laughs> interest rates have shot up. Well, <laughs> that's that, go back some years and there's people who paid a lot more. And what happens is interest rates go up, house values go down to adjust to that. And you still, people are still buying houses. Um, it's also about recessions. There was something very interesting posted in the Wall Street Journals yesterday. I didn't read the whole article. I read the first paragraph and stopped reading when they said house prices go down with recessions. That's not true. You see real estate prices stay strong during recessions because people need places to live. Um, Not saying that real estate is values are recession proof and they never go down because they do. And there's some regional areas right now where real estate values are going down. They're probably going to be a little bit flat in the next year. But, um, uh, you know, that affordability is something that people talk about. Um, And, you know, I'll go through some of these real quick, but like, here's another, another one talking about value of markets. There's a couple of overvalued markets like the Bay Area and LA and San Diego and the rest of the markets wow. are the vast um, majority. So the, on this, uh, sorry, yeah. I'm going to jump Go in ahead. here on this graph. Um, again, y-axis is, it looks like the um, the difference between the overvalued versus undervalued housing. And then the x-axis is all the different cities and the vast majority of the houses of the markets here are undervalued, it appears. In fact, only San, San Jose, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego are overvalued, all in California. Everything else is slightly undervalued or majorly undervalued. Correct. That, is, that blows my mind. And, and, and it's interesting. I think this might be interesting to your, to your listeners as well. Equity. So, well, so this is mortgage debt. Um, let me just go to real quick to equity. So we talk about everybody in forbearance. We talk about... Um, the you know tsunami of foreclosures coming and and depending on who you watch and what you read, if you look at the right data, right now we're at record number of equity, record percentage of equity. Um, and so this is if you look at the right side, Gabe, it's it's you're talking about the percentage of equity that people have in their house, and uh, that equity has just gone up and up and up. So it's it's a high percentage of people, and this this probably is a little bit tif- difficult to read, but most people have more than twenty percent equity in their home. Of those who are in foreclosure or in forbearance, it was more closer to like fifty percent of equity. So that's why you're seeing that the forbearance is kind of going away because they can sell their house or they can re- start making their payments again. That makes um, sense. I think the the hardest part's going to be in the in the urban areas where the eviction moratoriums are hitting hard and hitting the small landlords. Um, think about what we talked about earlier, where most of these, most of the, the properties in, in multifamily is a lot of this too, are owned by smaller investors. And if they can't evict their tenants and they can't pay their payments, if they don't have an agency loan, they're screwed. Even if they do have an agency loan, it's just forbearance. The tenants are walking away. They're never going to get that money back from them. They don't owe that money. And that's, really? uh, that's actually happened to me during this. <laughs> I mean, uh, I own, it's not, uh, it's duplexes, but not essentially single family. And, uh, and that's, you know, it's, it's a higher density area. And that's, uh, that's happened to me in this, in the past few months. So I, I understand that, um, that kind of trend that's going on here. So what, uh, just to kind of go back to that with single family rentals and, the, you know, great, this could be a pitch about single family rentals if you want it to be, but it's, <laughs> it's really more about looking at, the dynamics of a market where you own a home and looking at the type of tenant that you have and the demand. Don't look at a, a single family rental as putting a renter in there, looking at putting a first time home buyer in there in the house. That's the, that's the tenant profile that you're somebody who's paying, you know, 1200 to $2,000 a month in rent. 
they could go buy a home typically in a lot of places. They have a couple of things going against them. They may not have the savings. They may choose that they don't want to only put down three and a half percent, that they want more equity, right? That's a decision that people make. And they may say, well, maybe I should save more money, pay a moderate rent that, that is going to be less than, them, than my house payment would be and save money so that I can put down 20% on a home. If they're being smart and they're and they're looking back at history and going, wow, you know, if I had small equity, if I only have only a little bit of equity in a house and house value values go down a little bit, I could be underwater. And that's scary to people because they're not thinking that they're going to be owning the home for 20 years or 30 years. They're thinking they're going to own the home for the next five to 10 years, and then they're going to want to move up or move on. So that is... Um, something that you, that you have to think about. So a lot of people decide to rent for that mobility, for that uh, you, you can now live in a, a neighborhood full of owner-occupied homes in a rental and nobody's going to know you're living. You, you don't drive down a street in a subdivision of houses that has rentals in there and point and go rental, rental, rental. That, that doesn't happen. Rental. That guy's a rental, yeah. Right. So th- the stigma isn't there. And, and people, you know, I've had people push back on LinkedIn sometimes and say, well, what if we don't want rentals in our neighborhood? Well, they're already there. Yeah. Look at the home ownership rate of single family houses. It's at 65% around or 66%. That means 35% of the homes are rentals and they're mixed in in subdivisions. They're not sec- cordoned off. Now, sometimes now what's blowing up is build for rent communities, but those are even high, usually higher rent. Those are $2,000 plus rent and they're, they're higher in tenants or over 55 or millennials or whatever. And so that's uh that's uh that's really so um me and my partners we do uh mobile home and rv parks and it's, it's sounds similar i mean it sounds like what a built for home community would basically be a park that is stick built versus you yes. know mobile that's uh that's kind of a fascinating idea i don't know if you read blackstone just invested 800 million dollars in the mobile home parks oh wow I did not. So that's, look at that headline. That's crazy. There is so much competition in the mobile home park space these it, days. Like it's interesting. Uh, we do tons of cold calling, um, and you know our marketing efforts are, in my opinion, pretty pretty strong. And every person that we reach out to has said, "Yeah, man, I've I've been contacted ten times this week." And it's just it's not so many people are, are in that market. Um, well, shoot, we are, we've blasted through the 20 minute mark. I've been trying to keep these, uh, these episodes to 20 minutes. So I'm going to, um, we always end with the quick question round. I know you've already been through this, but we're doing it again, jumping into quick questions. Um, it starts with books. I always ask favorite books. So I'm just going to ask you one generally ask two, but what is your one favorite book? It could be about real estate or just general life wisdom. I can tell you, um, where is my book? <laughs> Um, I don't think this is my favorite book before, or, or was it? This right now is my favorite book. It's called Primitive by Marco Greenberg. Tapping and the primal it, drive that powers successful people, I think is what that said. Yes. I love it. It's about, and, and I talk about this in my LinkedIn videos that I post a lot. Um, I kind of mix it up and do one personal and one one about real estate every week. But uh, it's really about finding your primal self and 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 engaging that and, and being your, your, your whole person, you know, like we, like it's more about your job and like, are you doing your job to just make some money? Are you doing it because something you're passionate about? And just because you're not passionate about it just doesn't mean you can't find your primal self and, and, and really engage yourself and, and keep yourself engaged and make sure you're doing the right things for your family. For me, it was moving to a place that, um, I had no job prospects and had to figure it out. Um, but I had the mindset that I was going to do it. And it's really into that growth mindset and, and, you know, 
saying what you do, doing what you say, all that kind of stuff. So Primitive by Marco Greenberg. I love that book. And it's something I've been reading and referencing a lot. Awesome. I love it. I'm going to have to pick that one up. That sounds like something yep. that uh, is right down my alley. So on to the next question. Um, this is about your younger self. We always ask if we could go back to the null who was, uh, let's say, just getting out of college, you know, didn't know what he was doing, going into the world, go back to him, look him in the eyes, give him one piece of advice moving forward. I'll say two things. Invest earlier, <laughs> less college, more work, investing, and uh, start a family earlier. I wish I'd started a family earlier because it's the best thing that ever happened to me personally and professionally. Man, two great pieces of advice. I love it. Uh, next question. We're all about habits. Habits are the foundation of our life. So if you could point to one habit that you you kind of um, have kept in your life and that has contributed the most to your life over the years, what would that habit be? Uh, making sure that I am challenging myself personally outside of my work so that I can learn to live outside of my comfort zone. And when I find myself in those situations professionally with work, that I am comfortable being there, no matter what it is. It could be a hobby. It could be for me, it's been sports, skiing, rugby, doing things like that, that I continue to challenge myself always and teach myself to live out of my comfort zone. I love it. I'm, uh, I'm same line as you. I do jujitsu. So I'm, uh, I'm right in there with you. Yep. Um, and the final question is for the, is for the guests. You've given us a lot of good advice um, for single family investing and just kind of where the market is going generally. So I'm sure people want to reach out. What's the best way for them to do that? The best way, honestly, is on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. Um, my LinkedIn profile is, is LinkedIn forward slash Noel Christopher. I think there's like one other Noel Christopher on LinkedIn um, and he's not about real estate, although we have uh, connected with each other. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, find me on LinkedIn. That'd be the best way. And then I, I love to, uh, I put some content out there about real estate investing, about life in general. I do some, I do a LinkedIn live show, which Gabe, I'll have you come on. Um, be pretty cool to kind of hear everybody's story. So. Awesome. I love it. And uh, I will put that his LinkedIn URL in the show notes. So if you see the little more, um, more uh, button hi or <laughs> hyperlinked more words in the description. Click that. It'll pop down the full description and you can find Noel's LinkedIn URL. Click through there, say hi. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Um, Noel, again, thanks for hopping on. Always a pleasure to have you on here. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys. Of course, we do this for you. You are the reason that we are here. So we appreciate you hopping on the show with us today. Again, the best way to support the show is just to subscribe, like, and share this episode with your friends and family. Other than that, I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic week. Keep kicking ass in real estate, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and were able to pull some actionable advice that you can go home with and apply to your own investing business. Before you go, I have a gift for you. If you're a new investor looking to get started or an established investor looking to take your business to the next level, I've created an ebook just for you available on the website. This ebook will cover how I was able to create both active and passive income in real estate with very little money to start with. In it, I will address the three most often cited obstacles new and veteran investors run into by showing you how to find a deal that's actually a deal, how to finance that deal with little to no money down, and how to exit a deal for maximum value. And if you get the ebook today, I'm going to bury you in bonuses, seven of them to be exact. 
First, you'll get the off-market lead generation blueprint, which will take you through the exact systems processes we use to generate off-market leads like clockwork, which is the most important skill when it comes to creating real wealth in real estate. Then you'll get the A to Z REI systems and vendors guide, which will allow you to peek under the hood of our business and see the exact tools and systems and even the vendors we use to grow our business. After that, you will get the top 100 best performing keywords pack, which will give you the exact keywords we use to target leads online and generate leads without having to lift a finger. Next, you'll get the contracts bundle for wholesaling and renting real estate, which will give you access to all of the contracts we use in the field to execute all types of transactions. After that, you'll get the investor's quick analysis calculator and offer tool, which will allow you to quickly calculate whether a deal is an actual deal and will allow you to create an offer automatically from those calculations. Next up, we'll give you the Investor's Daily Success Tracker, which is a tracker you can use to ensure you are taking the right actions day in and day out to reach your financial goals in real estate. And finally, you will get the Wholesaler's Template for Quick Assignment Cash, which will give you the templates we use to present our wholesale deals professionally and efficiently to our buyers. I know that is a ton of things to say. I'm glad you were able to stick with it. Uh, so you'll get both the ebook and all of those seven free bonuses when you download the ebook today. All we charge is the admin cost to run the show. So if you are interested in the ebook and the bonus bundle, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com. Click on get the ebook bundle at the top of the page and take advantage of that deal. With that housekeeping item covered, I hope you have an absolutely fantastic day and even better week. Keep rocking real estate, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.